0: Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Good morning. Welcome to Talk Back Gardening on today, Federal Election Day and a beautiful autumn weekend here in Adelaide. Good morning, John Lamb.
2: Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And, Deb, have you voted yet?
0: I have voted, I'm very pleased to say. So that is behind me. John, do you have that ahead or have you already got your pre-poll or your postal vote in?
2: No, I was one of the first with the pre-polls. I think I was out about a week ago. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm very, very disappointed with the election, though. I didn't hear one decent comment about uh, the importance of gardening and a boost to gardening and (laughs) horticulturalists.
0: No, I think we dropped off um, that. Quite a few things seem to have dropped off of the election conversations, but um, thank you to some of our texters who are out voting at the moment. Uh, Crash, one of them, and someone... So let me just find this. Crash of Lenswood is actually not watching... The election tonight is setting up for his dad's 80th birthday, which is lovely to hear, but uh, lots of people heading out to vote. So don't forget, will you, to exercise your democratic right to vote and you can exercise your right to ring up and ask John Lamb any question that you want. And you can also speak to our special guest, Pam Gurner-Hall. John, very interesting conversation to be had.
2: We're going to take a look at walled gardens, green walled gardens. That view as you walk out the back door and you see those ugly old iron fences, it doesn't have to be that way. It's possible to have uh, green plants growing over the walls, but it's not easy. Many people try, a lot of people fail, and uh, there are certain essentials you need to get right, and our guest, Pam Gooner Hall, will cover some of those essentials very, very shortly. Later in the program, we're looking at plants, uh, small trees, small trees that are uh, good for small gardens, but they're big in autumn colour. And uh, talking to Marilyn Cushel, horticulturalist and uh, wonderful supporter of the Open Garden Scheme, lives in the hills. And some of her favourite autumn trees for small gardens.
0: Yes, that's uh, going to be a fantastic topic. I'm particularly interested to hear what you do about shady aspects because they're where my fences are. So I'm very much looking forward to speaking to Pam. And I have a May ABC Gardening Australia to magazine to give away a little bit later in the program as well. So stay tuned. But if you'd like to join us now, particularly if you'd like to speak to Pam Gurner hall we only have her for a limited time. If you've got questions about vertical gardens or a rooftop garden, call in now 1300 Triple two eight nine one, or if you'd like to get in the queue for general talkback, which we'll pick up after we speak to Jan. And uh, as I always like to remind you, you can always listen to us as well via the ABC Listen app on your smartphone. But I think it's time to get straight into it, John.
2: Let's say good morning to you, Pam Gona Hall. Good morning, John. Good morning, listeners.
3: Good morning, Deb. It's a bit chilly this morning.
2: Certainly is, and Pam is one of our top landscape architects and has won many, many prizes for her landscapes that she has been involved with. Uh, She lectures at the Botanic Gardens, just a wonderful source of information. And uh, Pam, I would like to take you outdoors and look at small gardens. Let's assume that you have been into the newer suburbs with the little pocket-sized courtyards, and you walk out there and there's nothing but bare iron fences. Does it have to be that way? No, it
3: doesn't have to be like that, though. You're right about it being soulless. Um, yeah, but there are a number of ways to cover up fences, particularly because in small spaces you don't have a lot of volume to give away. So you might want something to be travelling upwards but not outwards because you've got limited space. So there are a number of ways to do that, depending on whether it's in full sun or shade. Um, you know, the real nightmare for designers is that narrow space along driveways, which you would probably look for something that's tall and narrow for in a space like that, but You know, northwest aspects present a lot of challenges, closed-in spaces with high walls create, you know, higher humidity, which can be a plus if you're considering a wall garden. Um, And then you've got issues around irrigation and drainage as well. And, of course, soil is always an issue on new sites.
2: (laughs) Well, let's take a look at uh, the wall garden concept. Uh, is it practical to install structures uh, against the wall so that you are able to grow plants and have a, a wall of garden plants?
3: Yeah, there, it is practical. It's a matter of whether you can afford it and it's also a matter of your aspect, um, particularly aspect. In some of those smaller spaces, you've still got uh, really strong northwestern exposure now don't forget that here in adelaide we 've got an evaporation rate of two point five metres a year or maybe even more, you know depending on the on the year, but that's an average that 's a huge amount of water to escape. plus there's issues of quality and quantity of water, so it 's not just the quantity, how much of it, it's how much salt's in it, for example. But then, um, as Deb mentioned, you've got issues of uh, shade. And in Adelaide, that's a dry shade scenario. You know, we don't have the humidity that many of the other states have. So that sets up, you know, quite a lot of challenges, particularly if you're interested in a green wall system. If you're looking at putting plants in the ground, providing some sort of structure up a fence where there are fence extensions that are available that are relatively uh, easy to install and are really successful. And then there's the idea of, um, you know, planting in the ground and then leading uh, climbers up a fence line as well. So there's a number of options, but a lot of people now are quite interested in the green wall
2: system. And... pause there Pam and we might just break that up a little bit Uh, we come back to the probably the most important one to get right right from the start is the aspect so presumably um, if you've got a shady aspect you've got to have shade loving plants and vice versa if it's a sunny area Uh, how important is it in in getting the planting right or the right plants for the right position
3: well in actual fact the plant decisions decide the system that you're going to use really Um, it's a mistake to install a system and then try and find the plants that are going to grow in that type of system there's a couple of different types too you know there's the the uh, potted type which are kind of like slanted pots um, in a a structural frame Um, some of them are hexagonal so they fit tight together and then there's the felt pocket types, which are uh, a lot more um, difficult to install, if you like, and probably um, quite a lot harder to maintain. So you mentioned,
2: um, Pam. You, you mentioned that it's important to sort of get the aspect right, or the plant, the, the plant into the aspect. So um, what kind of a plant are we looking for 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 sun, and what kind of a plant are we looking for for shade?
3: Well, if you're looking for um, a full sun type plant, then again, um, if you want it to cascade down or do you want it to grow upwards? So um, things like Roselia are really good in those lovely little pop type walls. They do well, they spill out. Even the old um, Lantana types work quite well because they cascade out. You can try some of the Australian plants like uh, Canedias, canidia prostrata is another good one um, or you might want something that's uh, facing upwards so you're looking at lamandras and uh, other tough type uh, plants, you know, even things like um, the old asparagus foxtail, you know, which is not something I'd be keen to grow in too many other places but in a, a walled garden they do really quite well um, so, yeah, it depends very much on the type of plant, whether you want colour. If you want colour, that's a lot harder in a uh, shadier space, particularly in a dry shade space, a lot easier in a full sun space. So you might look at something that cascades down rather than grows up.
2: All right. So, so plant, I reckon, uh, yeah. the selection of plant is pretty important, but uh, yeah, let's take a look at some fundamental. Fundamentals. Yeah, that's oh, okay. Fundamental is the word. Yeah, it seems <laughs> underline to that one. Could We yeah. take a look at the structures, though. You were talking before about uh, sometimes you can buy little uh, uh, pots, and they sort of uh, attach to the wall. Um, uh, sometimes you can have little uh, like Lego sets, where you put a little box on top of another box on top of another box, and then there's the yeah. la- what I call the sandwich kite walls, where you have sort of uh, it's like a. Uh, or oh, you you explain what what's a sandwich wall?
3: Well, that's right. Well, they basically they call them felt pocket walls, really. So they're basically sandwiched. It's a material, a soilless uh, potting medium um, that's sandwiched basically between a lattice-type structure and then there are um, what's called felt pockets that you can... um, You plant your plant into the, the felt pocket, basically, with some of this soilless medium and then it's placed into the wall and it grows from that it's usually a hydroponic uh, system as well so it's irrigated through the watering system and they generally come in panels of about one meter by 1.2 meters that sort of size each one's irrigated separately so that it it's not supposed to drip down at great height which is one of the issues that we used to be faced with a lot when these systems first came out because you'd be watering the one at the top and by the time it got to the bottom, you know, everything <laughs> was soaked.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. so let's take a look at that, that that sandwich type stuff. It's a bit like roo- yeah. roof insulation and, and being, except yeah. it's vertical. How effective yeah. would you rate that? Give it a rating out of 10 in terms of its effectiveness.
3: Well, in Adelaide, I'd say probably it's below five. You know, um, it's uh, because of the evaporation rate, because of the fact that you've got to keep it constantly moist, because we don't have the humidity that's required, um, those type of walls really only do well in indoor situations or in closed courtyard-type scenarios. So I wouldn't be putting, you know, high-colour or heavy-type plantings in those kind of structures. I'd be looking at a system like that for a fern garden perhaps in a really uh, dry shade type scenario where you've still got reliable water and don't forget the quality of that makes a difference as well. So you'd want to filter on that water so it's not too high when uh, you know our water quality drops. Um, right. We're but in a full sun on. scenario, no.
2: Okay, I am just trying to say, we're talking with Pam Gooner Hall, a landscape architect, and uh, if you'd like to talk to Pam, she would certainly be able to help you if you've got a particular problem. How are we going in terms of questions there? Yes, Deb? we
0: do have some questions. Anne-Marie is in Renmark. Hello. Oh, hello. Um, I'm really
4: um, enthusiastic about dressing up walls and things, but I've got a fibreglass tank. Um, and... I've got a um, Boston ivy planted, but how do I get the Boston ivy to stick? Because it will stick to stone walls, but what do I put on my fiberglass tank to get it to stick?
3: Yeah, it won't, um, and oh. neither will most other things either. You know, um, they will stick to a rough type surface, but not onto fiberglass or artificial systems. They won't even stick to a blue board wall, for example. So your best option in a situation like that is to set up a freestanding screen type scenario, perhaps a wire screen, or you could even use formwork and have that shaped so that it has a curve and you can set it out slightly from the edge of your fibreglass tank. Use that as the structure to grow plants up. And in that situation, I'd be looking at a trough type scenario. Uh, unless you've got some reasonable soil that you can grow in in front of the screen so you can grow up it um, but if not then I'd be looking at a trough with or a series of troughs and then have this structure either sitting behind it or perhaps even in it and then grow up that
0: yeah okay yep thank you thanks very much Anne-Marie for the call um and just uh uh, on the text line Pam someone's saying how to grow on the south side of a northern wall
3: yeah okay so that's um it still gets a little bit more shade and it depends it depends very much on um the height of the wall so you know and how high up on the wall do you want to grow <laughs> basically the higher up the more sun it's going to get the lower down it's going to be a lot more shady um, I would still consider that situation, you know, a uh, high evaporative sort of space. And again, I'd be looking at some sort of structure that you can perhaps a wire structure or a metal structure or a. And if you're going to put a wire structure, make sure you use stainless steel and not um, uh, anything else because stainless steel won't. It won't sag as much. Make sure you put those little tightening toggles on the end so you can tighten it up. But that would be probably your best option on a fence line like that. And then you could be looking at something like Trachy which is um, highly perfumed. It's evergreen. And the thing I like about that is if you don't have a lot of volume, it does what I call cut to definition. It cuts tight. So you don't have to live with this ever-expanding volume of a climber up against the edge of a fence line, which uh, is often a case when people don't quite know how to manage the climbers that they put on fences. But tracklea good like that. You can cut it quite tight. Um, And if you want something that's a lot more colourful, then I'd consider something like a bougainvillea. But again, that's one that you've got to manage. So you make sure that you're not letting it get too much volume.
0: I've got a few more questions on the text line, but we'll come back to those in a moment. It is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and our special guest this morning is Pam Gurner-Hall. We're talking about green walls, green fences, green tanks even. If you've got a question, call in now on 1300 222 891. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tryon
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
2: Horticulturalist Pam Gurner Hall is our guest this morning. We're taking a look at uh, green walls, green garden walls. How to uh, hide the ugly fence of iron and, and replace it with a wall of green. Uh, Deb, are we going back to questions or would you like me to continue to having a chat to Pam?
0: Well, while you've got me, I may as well just throw a few at you, Pam, just to get them out of the oh. way. And a couple of oh. them relate to the issue of neighbours. Um, Di says, can you please ask Pam about the soil competition from plants on the other side of the fence? How can people grow things if there is a ferocious feeder or water absorber just the other side?
3: Yeah, that is an issue. Um, number one is make friends with your neighbour, <laughs> if at
0: all possible. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, that that's a little bit of what we call a borrowed landscape issue, where something's sapping it out from the other side. Really, it then comes back down to plant selection. It comes down to choosing something that's going to be able to live with that kind of competition. It does narrow your choices. There is no doubt about that you can recondition and condition your soil on your side of the fence line in the hope that it's actually going to um, help prevent um, that sort of uh, leaching of nutrients from the other side. And the other thing I'd suggest is perhaps that you build your side of the fence up a little bit so you raise the garden bed at least to give yourself a little bit more volume uh, to get things started because quite often once they're started, they'll compete but it's trying to get them started in that competitive kind of condition that is really challenging. So build the garden bed up a bit.
0: Well, this texture has raised something that I think my neighbours could relate to. Sometimes people who grow climbing plants over their fence create a regular trimming and maintenance problem for their neighbours, who also have to bear the cost of eventually replacing a metal fence, which won't last as long well if that's um an issue
3: it- again you know it can be an issue, particularly if you're using something like a bougainvillea that you know will run up your leg if you stand still long enough you know they can really they can really get a move on um that can be an issue and again it comes down to um being respectful for for your neighbor and making sure that your plant choices aren't going to present uh, an enormous amount of maintenance issues on the other side. Otherwise, you know, it, perhaps that particular neighbour could go around to the one who's growing it and ask them to maintain it. Um, yeah, it's an issue. And, uh, you know, these neighbourly sort of um, issues come up over and over again. And, uh, yeah, it's it does present some issues. Yeah. There is no doubt.
0: About that about um, And just on the issue of the uh, fibreglass tank that Anne-Marie had, this texter says you can wrap chicken wire around the tank. That's the suggestion offered on the text line. I won't butt in any more because there are more questions than I can possibly put to you, Pam. So it's back to you, John right. Lamb.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, rather than look at uh, having a creeper growing up the wall, let's come back to the concept of having containers there. And we've talked yeah. about the having a sandwich wall uh, and putting your, inserting your plants into that sandwich. But the other area, of course, is having little containers. And if you go into yeah. uh, some of the uh, chain stores, you can buy what I call little Mickey Mouse uh, walls of green. And then they've only got probably about uh, little pots of about half a litre um, of soil and, and, and uh, mm. uh, a funny kind of a watering system. How effective are those? And could that be the reason why many people are disappointed with the systems?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think it is. I think as I, you know, as I said, the main reason is because we've got such a hostile environment for these type of systems. But the the, the pot type systems are by far the better. And if you can get the system that's got, you know, the equivalent of an eight inch type pot, um, sort of put into um, a structure that uh, holds it up, at basically the, in a slight tilt. They tend to be by far the better because if you lose a plant, you just take out the pot, you replant it and you put it back in and it will actually then fill in. It's not advisable for a very high wall garden like this because there are some challenges. Again, same thing. It's in irrigation, it's in drainage and it's in weight and it's also in um, maintenance, basically. How do you get up and do all of that sort of stuff? You don't want to be hanging off the end of a... Uh, a ladder, but they're very effective for things like even the cheap ones can be effective for annual type uh, herbs. So, people often want a herb garden not far from the kitchen. They've got a little bit of a wall space there. It's in perhaps it needs about four hours of sun a day to grow some herbs. We would still consider that to be a full sun scenario, um, four hours either in the morning or in the afternoon, or a combo of the two will give you enough light and enough heat to be able to grow herbs. They're annuals, so you'll have to repot them every year. But in those small pots, that's about all you can expect. You can't expect to put in a perennial plant in one of these things and expect to see it, you know, even perhaps two years afterwards. It's going to need to be replanted. And uh, refertilized and looked after all over again. So annuals work really well in a scenario like that.
2: Yes, Pam, you mentioned before an ideal size would be sort of eight inches across. Uh, in terms of litres, how many litres of soil do you need to have a perennial plant that uh, will look after itself? You don't have to be looking after it week after week after week.
3: Well, you know, and um, an eight inches, pot is, what, a 20 20 centimetres high. What's that in a litre? I don't know, really. Um, It's not a measure I would use. You know, I don't generally use them in the sort of of litres of soil, but, you know, the the volume is around about 20 centimetres high by about um, 6 to, you know, 10 10 centimetres or, yeah, about 20 centimetres wide, really, a really nice, Sort of space. Bear in mind also that to get perennial plants up and moving, they need about uh, eight litres of uh, moisture or water a week. You know, so you're looking at sort of you know the amount of water, eight litres of water, um, to uh, keep a, a perennial plant moving and growing per week. Really, particularly. Well, let's, look
2: systems, up, awesome. yeah, yeah. let's look at irrigation systems if we can. Let's look at irrigation systems, Pam. Um, so, uh, there are different types of irrigation, and some you know, have the water sort of just running down uh, from the top to the bottom. How? What kind of irrigation system uh, is the most adaptable to uh, if you're going to have a, a reasonably sized plant uh, that will be self sustaining? Um, you'd
3: have to have a drip irrigation system installed and a lot of these uh, wall gardens have already got that um, already as part of the actual system and in the felt type pocket systems they're uh, irrigated every one square meter and the water runs out and down it doesn't run into the next one it used to, but a lot of the good ones now don't do that some of the older ones still do and that can be an issue um, and as far as the the potted type systems again you know the, the uh, drip irrigation type scenario is by far the better and generally if it's a good system it will have that type of system already in place so that it's just um, a matter of hooking up your uh, water source, you know, uh, hose or whatever to it.
2: Time is going to beat us, Pam, but I should mention (laughs) that you're uh, giving a lecture next week at the Botanic Gardens uh, and uh, people can join in those lectures. Uh, I think it's next Thursday Um, and you're talking about green walls and and roofs. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, yeah, certainly am. And whereas I'm a little tentative on walls, green uh, rooftop gardens tend to be a lot more uh, successful in Adelaide.
2: Oh, no. and, and so if they ring the Botanic Gardens on Monday, they can still uh, uh, enrol, presumably?
3: Sure. Yep, sure. Um, it's available on their website.
2: All right. I think maybe we need yep. to get you back in the near future yeah. when we talk about uh, uh, growing uh, creepers up against fences. There are a lot of people that have a lot of questions about yeah, that it's, one.
3: It's so, the it's uh, tip of the iceberg subject.
2: <laughs> well, Pam Gurner-Hall... Uh, Uh, horticulturalist and landscape architect. Uh, Many thanks for your contribution this morning. That's all right. It's a pleasure, John.
0: Thank you so much, Pam. So many questions for you on the text line, and we'll have you back another day. Thank you for your time, horticulturist. Cam Gurner Hall. And as we said, that um, Rooftop Gardens and Green Walls uh, lecture is on Thursday, that's the 26th of May, from 9 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon at the Goodman Building at the Adelaide Botanic Garden. So go and check the Botanic Gardens uh, webpage to register for that. Just on the text line, a few texts coming through. Frosty said I suggested um, Peter Gers put a vertical garden in on his balcony. Hope he is listening. Uh, this texter says, "My neighbour planted a capital pear on the boundary. I can only grow in tubs and raised beds now." Um, and Maureen Ross, friend of this program, John says, "Suggest that roses are perfect for fences. They love heat. They're easy to grow, colourful, minimum maintenance. That's climbing roses, of course." Maureen, thank you very much for that. Um, and Jackie at West Croydon said, uh, I have similar issues to the, the question about growing on the fence with a huge tree next door. I've attached, uh, I've made raised garden beds along the fence and I've attached light steel lattice to the fence and growing trachea spurnum jasminodes. I've probably said that wrong. In each bed to cover the fence, small plants in front looks really lush. And joy it's from the star, Mum,
2: is is star jasmine.
0: Oh, I love star jasmine. Absolutely yes, stunning.
2: It. That um, was one of the plants that Pam was talking about, uh, Trachylus burnum, and people were wondering what on earth it is. It's just the, the wonderful star jasmine.
0: Star jasmine, it's beautiful. And just finally, Pam once had the most wonderful nursery in Harndorf and was so generous with her amazing knowledge, says this texter. Thank you very much indeed. Let's get back into general talk gardening calls. Call in now to speak to John on 1300 222 891. David from West Beach has. Good morning, David.
1: Good morning, Deb. Good morning, John. Um, Yes, I've got a question about uh, uh, a nectarine tree, which is a fairly old tree. Um, It's got a fairly large trunk and three big branches that break out about a metre up from the ground. And now the canopy is so big, it's uncontrollable and I can't protect it from birds and rats and things like that. So I'm just seeing whether I can cut those main three trunks. They're about 10 to 12 inches in diameter cut them off and start again. And I wondered if that would kill the tree.
2: Well, timing is not on your side if you do it now or during winter, David. Um, right. If you want to uh, uh, prune it for fruit, do it in winter. If you want to prune yep. it for size, you do that in summer. And right. uh, it may be that uh, if you wanted to in winter, uh, take out some of the branches, uh, anything that's growing in towards the centre of, of the tree. Uh, but and take out no more than about 15% of the canopy during winter. Otherwise, if you cut it back hard in winter, it will come back in the very strong, vigorous growth, and within two or three years, it'll be back to the same size it was. And uh, that's not what you want. If you want to permanently reduce the size of it, uh, then if you prune probably just after harvest, and it doesn't really matter... Uh, what time of of summer, but uh, soon after harvest and cut it back quite hard then. Now, just bear in mind if it's it's fruiting in January or early February, you might have to protect the branches from sunburn. And that might mean painting the branches with white paint, white water paint. Uh, That will prevent them from getting burnt. But if you prune it back then, it'll come into new growth. But if you prune it back in summer it will reduce the root growth according to what you've chopped back the canopy. It will reduce the root growth. And by doing that, if you have less root growth, you have less um, material, water and nutrients being gathered. and, uh, And so you end up with a smaller tree you then need to be aware that uh, you'll still have vigorous growth and you need to uh, uh, select that so that your branches are growing in in the right direction. But where you've got three main branches, you might end up with probably eight or nine smaller, medium-sized branches and instead of being very tall, it'll only be medium-sized and that's what you want.
1: Yep, okay. Okay, so by cutting those 10-inch branches right, right back, cutting them off, There'll, there'll be no more leaves on the tree. When I do that, it won't kill the
2: tree. Uh, no, it certainly won't. Uh, but okay, it'll reduce. It, it'll just reduce the volume of roots <laughs> that yep. were feeding the, the tree, and that will. That's that, That's the principle of summer pruning. You prune the top; it reduces the root system, and uh, right. that allows it to sort of be less vigorous.
1: Okay. Thanks very much, John.
0: Thanks for the call, David. If you'd like to speak to John, give us a call now on 1300 222 891. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
2: on ABC Radio Adelaide. Two or three weeks ago, I was talking roses and I wanted to talk to one of our top Rose judges and uh, rose growers, Gavin Wood. And he said, I'd love to, John, but I'm going east. <laughs> and Gavin Wood is uh, probably, he's won most of the uh, uh, trophies here in South Australia he's a wonderful uh, exhibitor and judge of roses but he decided he's going to take on the the growers in New South Wales and so he decided he's going to take some roses across uh, to the National Rose Show over in Kiama at the beginning of this month and uh, I've just been told that Gavin he took 60 blooms across and he drove them in his own car 1500 k's (laughs) but he won four of the five major classes, and he also ended up with the best rose in the show. Wow. And I think, that, uh, I think that's absolutely brilliant and doesn't surprise me, <laughs> Gavin. Um, and the in- interesting thing is if you're looking for a good rose uh, that will give you uh, show-type uh, flowers in a vase, Veterans Honor was the rose that uh, he has uh, won all those awards, Veterans Honor. Uh, lovely rose
0: wow what a wonderful thing to do to drive all that distance with your own roses making sure they're in the best condition possible and sweep through the prizes congratulations <laughs> Gavin that is just fantastic
2: oh just to uh, say we we keep on sort of saying that uh, Adelaide is the rose capital of Australia and uh, that sort of irks some of the growers in victoria and New South Wales and I think uh, Gavin has has demonstrated a good point
0: he certainly Has. Uh, Let's go to Encounter Bay now. Anthony, your rhubarb's not looking fantastic?
5: No, no. And John helped me out uh, several years ago, and uh, it's probably been in the family for 25 years plus. And I've tried everything that John has uh, suggested in the past with cow manure, and I've uh, also used the five in one fertiliser to revive it. And I've tried to uh, put it up on the mound, and I've put uh, pea straw around the uh, edge of it and i've tried to make sure that uh, the feet don't get wet um so and i've got a bit of um, um cover over the top the shape cloth um but uh, it's looking very in and I'm, I, I'm i'm trying everything i can possibly do to uh, uh maintain it revive it but uh, it's uh it's not shooting too well. It's probably got one or two shabby leaves on it, uh, stalks, and that's about it. Sounds so I'm, a I'm, bit I'm sad there, after.
2: Anthony. Yeah, it does. It does, and it is means this, so much uh, to me. Is this the original plant that you, you're looking after, or have you tried putting in new plants?
5: Uh, no, this is the original one. So, the, yeah, the original one that's uh, been well it was my mum's before she passed away, and uh, so it's uh, probably 25 years or older, and um, the last time, you, several years, you helped me revive it and she, it came back, oh, it's beautiful. But uh, now right. it's looking...
2: I, well, it, during winter, I'd dig it up and uh, have a look, good look at the root system, the crown system. It doesn't have much of a root system, but dig it up and just wash out all the uh, soil away and have a look at the roots and see whether there are still sound roots there. It could be that uh, it's just got old and uh, it run down and uh, you'll find that uh, the, the, the little microorganisms in the soils, there's more baddies than goodies and uh, that the plant is just not able to grow away from them. And uh, it might be that you've got to buy yourself a nice new crown and, and sab- set that up. So uh, dig it up, uh, wash it out, and uh, yep. take the opportunity of doing what you've done before, is, is improve mm-hmm. the soil. Make sure that all if you're putting organic matter in there that it's well and truly composted, um, mm, mm. But buy another plant and put it next to it, <laughs> and see right. whether the new one grows away from the old better than the old one and uh, I know the old piece has probably got sentimental value, but mm. sometimes it just gets <laughs> like me old and run down
5: like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you 're saying there john um but yeah okay i 'll try that. um get find it, uh, another mate and i 'll take it out and uh, Um, and do what you've suggested and uh, see how we go and I'll uh, contact you at some point to see whether it's um, improved or whether it's um, yeah, you know, unfortunately on yeah, that'll
2: be good, good, Anthony. I'd suggest if you can sort of say in 12 months' time and say, look, the new one is growing much better than the old one, or just say, well, look, the old one has has come into a new growth. When you you dig up the old one and take a look at the root system, if it looks like there's a bit of fungal material there, um, yeah, I think. Uh, Well, I was going to say put something on the root system, but I won't because there's not too many things that uh, will actually control fungals on the root system, so... uh probably best to,
0: to leave, uh, leave it alone. Mm. Anthony, very interesting. Let us know how you go. As you said, that's great. Uh, well, I went for a beautiful drive through the Adelaide Hills last weekend and to be honest, I was blown away by the autumn colour this year, John. Deep, deep reds, really um, sunburnt oranges, pale yellows. It just had every colour imaginable.
2: Yes, and I think the last of the autumn leaves will soon be on the ground, and uh, another season we say goodbye to autumn. But uh, there are a lot of uh, beautiful trees in the Adelaide Hills, and probably none better than Stangate Hill. A uh, Stangate, uh, and it's open on Sunday. So let's start our discussion on autumn trees, talking to Marilyn Kershaw. And it's time to say good morning to you, Marilyn.
4: Good morning,
2: John. Hello, Deb. And, uh, I mean, you've been a marvellous supporter of South Australia's Open Garden Scheme and probably a major reason why it's been so successful and thank you for the work you put into open gardens and and not just at Standgate House but also at Beaumont House. But let's come to Standgate. Uh, Just uh, what will we see? We know Standgate because of its camellias, but uh, in terms of autumn trees, what's there to see?
4: Well, right now the Japanese maples and the liquid ambers are at their absolute peak of perfection. They're the last, really, of the trees to colour up in autumn in the hills and they are looking magnificent, just glowing with colour at the moment. But you mentioned camellias. Yes, it is. Um, And you mentioned camellias. May is also the peak month for Sasanqua camellias. So there's a lot of camellias out in bloom, and most of them are at least 40 um, years old. And, looking, you know, so they're huge shrubs. So people can get a really good look at what uh, Sasanqua camellias are
2: flowering. Just tell the people down on the plains like me, where do you find Standgate? Stangate.
4: It's in Allgate on Edgeware Road. The, the main entrance is number three, Edgeware Road, but it's opposite the old Allgate Railway Station. So just as you and enter into Allgate, it's there on you turn right and, and follow the signs.
2: It's a wonderful, wonderful old garden. Let's talk autumn trees now. Uh, what yes. irks me sometimes, Marilyn, I drive through Mount Barker uh, and to take a look at the new suburbs and it makes me cry. They've got little pocket handkerchiefs there and it's almost yes. treeless. They chop down the beautiful gum trees and, and, and then they wonder why uh, it, it's so hot and so dry. Um, some oh, yes. trees, small, small trees. For small gardens that will give us big autumn colour, what would you suggest? Well,
4: well, I would start off with suggesting um, three flowering and fruiting trees, pomegranates, persimmons and crab apples. So you get the benefit of blossom in spring and flowers and then fruit as well as really good autumn colour. And uh, persimmons have wonderful colour. Now the leaves have dropped off mine, but the beautiful golden orange globe fruit is still hanging on, so it gives a wonderful uh, autumn display. And there's several really small flowering crab apples that have wonderful clusters of colourful fruit. Uh, You have to fight the birds for them. But uh, the best two are Malus ioensis or Malus gorgeous. Um, and then for a medium sized crab apple, Malus trilobata, which is the maple leafed crab ca- apple. So the leaves look a bit like a maple, but it is a crab apple. So they have the benefit of spring blossom and then autumn colour.
2: Yes, and it's interesting that uh, in this week's Good Gardening Newsletter, uh, the feature uh, uh, autumn colour plant is uh, actually crab apples, so uh, I'm glad you mentioned that one. But pomegranates, how do you rate those as, as an autumn tree?
4: Oh, well, the, the foliage goes bright yellow after the beautiful red fruit. If, uh, you, there are ornamental pomegranates which, don't, which only produce small, inedible fruit, but the fruiting ones have wonderful big, fat red uh, pomegranates which are just ripe for picking right now, um, nice. and the leaves go a bright golden yellow.
2: So those three, the pomegranates, the persimmons and the crab apples, they all uh, grow into or stay relatively small when, uh, even yes. when they're mature. Yeah.
4: Yes, and can, okay. can they easily be pruned like other fruit trees. could be pruned to shape and to keep them the size you want them.
2: In the hills, many people love the maples. What's the best of the small maples to grow in a small garden?
4: Well, if, if you can give it a sheltered spot, um, then you can grow Japanese maples in the hills the things that, the thing about Japanese maples is that they are very thin skinned they have very little bark, which means they 're very susceptible to sunburn and which then destroys the smaller branches so you need to plant them where they don 't get any of the hot afternoon sun. In fact, they do better if they 're in the shelter of larger deciduous trees so We're I
2: was going to say, we're talking about trees, so I I, I really get annoyed with uh, having to broadcast from home because of this delay. It really makes uh, conversations almost impossible. But uh, we talk about maple trees, uh, and many people on the plains, Marilyn, would love to be able to grow a maple. Now, I guess the Japanese maple is is probably uh, uh, not on. Is there a a maple?
4: No, I I, I think that there isn't... The October Glory series of or the lipstick maples do okay in the foothills, but really I think you're wasting your time because they'll never be really happy. They come from a cool climate and they like a bit of extra summer water, so they're not really suited for the Adelaide Plains. So instead, why not create myrtles for the plains or Chinese pistachios or some of the smaller of the ornamental pears, the Papyrus Caloriana or Bradford pear um, is very successful on the plains and has wonderful autumn colour.
2: Wonderful suggestions there, um, Marilyn. And thank you very much for your time this morning. And I'm sure that uh, many people would be very interested in uh, a drive up in the Adelaide Hills this weekend, particularly on Sunday, and maybe pop into Stangate House.
0: That would be wonderful. I'll see you there. Thanks, Marilyn, and thanks for all the hard work you do. Um, lovely to have you aboard. Standgate Camellia Garden open day tomorrow. That's at 3 Edgeware Road at Allgate. Um, that's between 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. If you have not won anything from our station in the last month and you'd love to get yourself the May edition of ABC Gardening Australia, call in now, 1300 222 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Congratulations to Brian in Woodville who has won the ABC Gardening Australia magazine. I'll give another one away next week. And um, Kate on the text line says, Having once lived in the hills, I literally did cry when we travelled through Mount Barker area and I saw what had been done there. A travesty, says Kate. Well, thanks for that, Kate. The text line zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. John, we're back to rhubarb again. Michael from Oaklands Park, what's going on with your rhubarb?
5: Oh, good morning, Deb and uh, John. Uh, yes, I've got some rhubarb plants. I bought about. They've been in the ground about two months, but they're not growing very well. Uh, I don't know whether I've been using the right fertiliser, but I was wondering if you've got any suggestions as to what I can do to. Them I some don't hurry up. know whether,
2: whether you're listening to Anthony with his rhubarb. He's, uh, obviously no, wasn't, I wasn't. earlier. Up. No,
5: sorry.
2: Yes, yeah, so he's doing. Another, but with rhubarb, the most important thing is good drainage. must be good drainage. It needs shade, particularly in summer. Um, yep. And probably uh, they're the two things. That if you get right, you've got a good chance of having good rhubarb. If it's uh, planted, in, uh, is it in a nice sunny position?
5: Well, um, I've got a courtyard house, John. Uh, uh-huh. One of them is by the northern aspect fence and the other one is by the eastern aspect fence. So they, uh, this time of year, uh, the ones by the eastern fence will get some sun, but I guess the other one won't get any sun at all now.
2: Right. Well, all things are possible, and if you look after it, if you've got sort of, first of all, make sure that it's on good drainage, and if it's not, dig it up, make a mound of soil, and then plant it into the top of the mound, Uh, and that mound needs to be at least sort of a a square metre that you're going into. Uh, If it's looking pretty miserable at the moment, about the only thing I'd be doing is getting some cow manure. Buy a bag of cow manure. It's good anyway, but it's nice and soft and slow release. And it uh, it not only provides a small amount of nutrients for the plant, it does much better in stimulating and feeding the little microbes in the soil. And you need lots of little microbes there building, uh, breaking down the organic matter and releasing nutrients to the rhubarb very, very slowly. So mulch it with um, uh, with, with cow manure, and if you buy, say, a 30-litre bag, you could probably put uh, uh, a half of the bag or a third of the bag of of material just around and use that as a mulch, and and that will sort of set it up for the coming season. Um, And then it's a matter of uh, just to make sure it doesn't get too much sun during the hot weather And and from a watering point of view, just bearing in mind it doesn't have an extensive root system, so you need to uh, make sure that the soil is kept moist uh, without being soggy wet.
5: Okay, thanks very much, John.
0: Thanks for the call, Michael. Nice to hear from you and another Michael now in Campbelltown. Um, You've got an issue with your very hard um, soil there, Michael.
5: Yeah, actually, I used to live at Oakland's Park. Isn't that a coincidence? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, don't know him though. Uh yeah, listen, uh, I've recently moved on to Campbelltown and I and, and I've planted some um uh I planted a gerber and it's flowering all right, but the not, the soil when you dig down it's very hard. There's a lot of clay is there around Campbelltown.
2: Soil <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> yeah. it, Michael. I live at Campbelltown. <laughs> so, oh no, uh, do you?
1: Yeah.
2: No, yeah, I, I live right. on
1: Hamb- Hambledon Road
2: okay
5: <laughs> um anyway what's so, your,
0: what's your question michael because we're running out of time
5: yeah i know the news is coming um yeah so um i'm just wondering how the gerbera, and i've also planted a little hakia as well hakia
2: right well it, yeah. the important thing is get the soil right and the thing that yep. will help you get the soil right in Campbelltown is gypsum gypsum and it's relatively cheap by a you know, 20 or 30 litre litre uh, bag of it, and you can use that. And round your gerberas, uh, I'd be using probably about uh, half a kilogram to the square metre. Any areas where you don't have any plants growing at the moment, but you want to improve the quality of the soil, put up to a kilogram to the square metre. And if you just spread it on the ground, and try and do it before a shower because, and you don't need to wash it in. Uh, the showers will just wash it into the soil and it just improves the soil quality uh, very considerably. Looks
0: like... Gypsum, yes, gypsum, gypsum yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, a white powder, yeah. So if you go to your garden store, Michael, they should be able to help you out with that. Um, and, of course, we've got some rain coming on Wednesday, John.
2: Yes, I think there's going to be, I won't say significant rain, but it looks like a decent kind of a system. And uh, more important, I think, is uh, right at the very end of this month, and maybe early next month, uh, there's a real doozy of a system coming through. And uh, if Darren Ray is correct, and he normally is, that might be the opening to the season, pretty late, but better late than never.
0: Exactly. Well, Michael, and um, have a look at the weather and get that gypsum on the ground first. Now, John, you wanted to mention Adelaide National Park's city.
2: Yes, I think uh, not many people realise that Adelaide has been declared a national park city, and we're only the second city in the world for this to happen. And uh, Sharon Pittman is the coordinator of a, a program to create awareness of the fact, and it's, it's just a brilliant concept of, uh, of bringing people and, and connecting people with, Kate, uh, with with nature. And during June we're going to have a whole month of activities, of walks and lectures and uh, events. And it's just uh, a a wonderful concept, I think, Uh, is coming up very, very soon. So uh, uh, just be aware that um, Adelaide has got a lot going for it. And I think people are not only wanting to grow food and have have flowers, they want to connect with nature. And I think this program is going to do a lot in creating awareness of of what a wonderful city we have.
0: Well, I sure know it. I love living in Adelaide. Always have, always will. John, you're probably getting out into the garden this weekend. The weather is gorgeous.
2: Yes, and I think uh, the, the last of the leaves of my ornamental pear are on the ground. <laughs> There's more on the ground than on the tree. <laughs> so uh, we'll have some fun uh, putting, turning those into compost. And until next week, oh, don't forget to vote. Oh, and, and observe your plants too. Are they leaning to the left or are they leaning to the right? And uh, I'll say until next week, good garden. <laughs>